on the subject of Nehemiah. And um, the thing that encourages me so much about Nehemiah is he is a normal fella. He's not. Um, he wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a judge. He just was the cupbearer to the king. And God used him. And it's amazing to me to see how God can take something so ordinary and do something extraordinary through them. And uh, that ought to encourage us. It really should. It ought to encourage us in those areas. I know it encourages me. And uh, I was talking to some folks even just this week, and um, they asked me uh, how I how my first message I ever preached went. And uh, so I spent a little bit of time telling them about that and uh, what a flop it was, you know. And I and I made the comment afterwards. I was like, "Why in the world God God used me for any reason is beyond me. I just don't understand it." But I'm thankful that God can do something extraordinary through common people that are willing to be used by Him. And Nehemiah is one of these fellows. He's uh, he makes the comment over and over again about the good hand of his God upon him, and how God is using him in such a unique way. Um, I love the fact that Nehemiah does not look to the king for his supply and for all the permissions and everything, but he goes to the Lord first. And when the king comes to him and says, You've not been sad in my presence before, and uh, what do you want? What is your request? What is your petition? The first thing Nehemiah does is go to the Lord in prayer. He doesn't tell the king what his petition is yet. And uh, I think there's a lesson to be learned in that, that when we come to these crossroads in our lives of, of decisions and opportunities, the first place we ought to turn is to the Lord and seek His will. We made a comment last week, and we dealt with the subject last week, that we need to be so careful using the phrase, and I think sometimes we may use it a little bit too cavalier, a little bit too uh, carelessly, the phrase uh, that God is leading me to do this. Uh, we need to be assured of that before we make those statements. Uh, we sometimes use them quickly and commonly to uh, justify the accomplishing of our own will in a matter. Uh, well, God's leading me to do this, and, and we do it because it's something we want to do. And uh, so it's interesting to me that Nehemiah, when God had put something on his heart, he took some time. And the Bible says that he, um, he went out at night and uh, he and some few men with him and, uh, and he had not told people what God had put in his heart to do yet. He wanted to have that time and that opportunity for God to confirm things in his heart and his mind, to see things the way that they were. And I think there's some wisdom in that. I really do. Uh, I've watched people. I've, I've, I've done it. And I know that... <laughs> I've seen people do it, and the fact that I've done it in my own life, there have been times that uh, I thought that this might be what God would have me to do, and I kind of jumped the gun and, and went ahead with it without having the full confidence this is what God wants me to do or God has for me to do. And um, so I think that we ought to be seeking for God's direction. Uh, I know the Bible tells us in Matthew uh, that if we, we seek first, well, is that a wasp? You don't see that? I hope not. Let me know if he gets too close to me. Otherwise, y'all are going to be watching that the whole Sunday school. <laughs> there we go. It might be safer outdoors. Um, but Matthew says, uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Over and over again, the Bible talks about it, and the psalmist spoke oftentimes about seeking God and uh, knowing His heart, knowing His will. And uh, I think one of the things that we 
probably neglect sometimes in our lives, and yet we profess that we've done, is that we've sought God on the matter and that we've been convinced that this is what God wants us to do. And so we've got to be careful of those things. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. I'm saying let's not overdo it or, or use it in such a flippant way that we are not certain of these things. Um, I think there's something to be said for the fact that Nehemiah didn't tell everybody right away what God had put in his heart to do. He made sure that this was the direction that God was going to deal with these things and take care of them. So we got down through uh, verse number uh, 14 or so last week. I loved the first part of verse number 14 because in verse 13, the Bible says that he viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and consumed with fire. And I love these next four words in verse number 14 that I went on. And I asked the question last week, what is it that's, that it takes to stop you? What is it that, that it takes to stop you? Nehemiah saw this task. He saw these walls broken down. He saw these gates burned with fire. And, and some of us, I'd like to think that I would be a Nehemiah and I'd just go on. But the truth is, I don't know what I'd do until I'd seen something like that and been there. The Bible says that Nehemiah went on. He was not frightened by the task that God had put on his heart to do. I mean, this is a big undertaking. And I shared with you a little bit last week uh, a personal testimony of a time in my life where God put something on my heart that was a very, very big, big task. And how I did not do it because I was scared of the task at hand. When I saw all the, the that it was going to take to do it, um, I did not do it. And I believe that we're going to give account sometimes in our lives uh, for the things that God wanted us to do that we did not do. And we'll have to stand and give an account for those things. That brings us down to verse number 15. And uh, this is where we left off last week. Uh, and let's look at the last half of verse 14, because I think there's something else there. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain into the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. I uh, understand that the principles that we're looking at here uh, about the physical wall of Jerusalem, the physical gates, are, can be applied, the principles of it can be applied to our lives. When, when certain things are broken down in our lives, when certain things are different in our lives. Maybe our gates are burned. Maybe we're going through a trying time spiritually. And so a lot of these principles of steadfastness, of seeking God, all of those principles apply in, in a spiritual sense in our lives. And so I think there's a wonderful illustration of this in, in the book of Nehemiah. That being said, when we get to verse 14, I think it's a sad commentary that the Bible says that the gate of the fountain to the king's pool, he said, there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. There was a lot of clutter around here. There was a lot of destruction. I remember years ago, several years ago, some of you all remember about, I think it was about 12 or 14 years ago now, uh, the, the big earthquake down in Haiti. It was on the news for about a year. And a uh, lot of lives were lost down there. And on the one-year anniversary, after, one year after that earthquake had taken place, uh, I and a few other uh, missionaries went down uh, to spend a week down there with uh, trying to see what all where they were at, what all needed to be done yet. We flew into Port-au-Prince and uh, went by the uh, port, and there was a fenced-off area that had uh, probably two or three hundred pieces of heavy equipment, excavators and front-end loaders and, and things that could be used to clear the rubble out of the streets there in Port-au-Prince. We went by the Capitol, and the building was still collapsed. It had not been cleared yet. And uh, I remember driving through the streets of Port-au-Prince and having to go off of the street to go around piles of rubble that were in the middle of the street still. 
Some of them we had to go over top of. There was no room to go around them. You had to very carefully take the vehicle over a mound of rubble. There were people that were uh, still up on the walls of buildings whose roofs had collapsed with hammers and chisels trying to knock stuff down. And, uh, and then uh, they had kids. They had hired a bunch of kids uh, to uh, take wheelbarrows and come into the town, load up the wheelbarrow with uh, the debris, and then wheel it six miles outside of town and dump it out and come back into town and, and do it all over again. While all this heavy equipment that had been sent from the United States and other places, some of these um, humanitarian places that got great news publication and, and advertisement on the, the news, watching them offload these things, they had locked them up and didn't let the people use them. And, and I, I, I thought, what a travesty. What a travesty that they had the ability, they had the means to clean all this clutter up, and, and it, was, it was locked away. It wasn't even being used. And the little bit of work that was being done on cleaning that clutter up was taking so long. And I got to thinking, you know, a lot of times in our lives, Christian lives, we go through that, don't we? We have the means, through God's Word and His Holy Spirit, to clean the clutter out of our lives. And a lot of times we just pick at it. We just, we just dabble at it. We're not, we're not urgently trying to get those things out of our lives. I liked what Brother Paulie said the other night. He said, really, revival looks like Jesus. He said, what we need to do is ask for the Holy Spirit to, to cut away everything in our life that does not look like Jesus. I like that. I like that statement. I think it's a great statement. The truth of the matter is, we're content a lot of times with where we're at in our spiritual lives. It's a sad commentary that Nehemiah's not found a place for his beast to pass under him. Because of all the rubble that's there. You're going to find out as we get down in the chapter a little bit further and deal with some of the rebuilding that there comes a time where that clutter becomes another problem to them. We get to verse number 15. It says, when I went up, then, then when I went up by, in the night by the brook and viewed the wall. By the way, it, it'd do us well to, to have our vision restored again. I, I just put this little note in, in the side note. It's not even part of the lesson. But in my personal study, I'd put a note in here. There are times, I remember this story when Jesus healed the blind man and he asked him how he saw and he said, I see men as trees walking around, you remember that? And how he needed a second touch and he needed the Lord. And it wasn't that the Lord couldn't heal him right the first time. He was trying to teach the disciples a lesson, a point through this. That there are times we need a second touch from the Lord. There are times that we can become distracted even. The Bible teaches us that we're to walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time. And I believe even in a Christian's life, there are times we need to stop and look around us at what's going on. Because we get so accustomed to it, don't we? Uh, you've heard the story of the little frog that got put in a cup of, or a pan of cold water. And slowly the temperature was turned up and he didn't even know it. And the truth is, there's a lot of times in our spiritual lives that we get so accustomed to the routine of our Christianity... We, we read our Bible a set time every day. We read it a set amount of uh, pages every day or a set amount of verses. Uh, sometimes we uh, get used to coming to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and it's just our regular routine. And, and we, we have a need to have our vision opened again that we can see the problems around us, that we can see those that are lost. When Jesus was speaking to the disciples, He said, Lift up your eyes under the, hills, uh, under the fields. 
for they are white already in the harvest. The reason he said that was they weren't seeing it. How often do we not see it? How often do we go out into public and there are lost people all around us and opportunities to share the gospel all around us and we don't see it? Jeremiah in verse number 15, or Nehemiah here in verse number 15 says that he went up by night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. And then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem. Notice this phrase, and if you're in the habit of underlining, I would underline this phrase. That we be no more of reproach. Now the question comes into mind, what is the reproach that he's speaking of here? Is this an embarrassment to the nation of Israel? Well, it may or may not have been. Apparently, they weren't too concerned about it because they hadn't built the walls yet. They, they'd gone all these years and hadn't done anything. So apparently, it wasn't too embarrassing for them. It wasn't too big of a reproach to them. What is it that Nehemiah is referring to here? Could it be that it's a reproach to the Lord? The fact that the city of Jerusalem and His chosen people are living in ruins and in shambles is a reproach to the Lord? That they should have been diligent a long time before this to rebuild, to get the walls built back up and the gates built back up. Nehemiah comes to him in verse 17. He says, Let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. I, um, <laughs> I'm not the best housekeeper. I will tell you that. I just am not. And uh, every once in a while I'll come in the house and I'll look around and I'll be like, this place is a pigsty. We gotta, we gotta clean this, Jonathan. Let's get busy. We gotta clean today. You know, we gotta get things straightened up. Um, I'm gonna have a, a dog staying with me next week. I gotta clean my house before I can even let a dog in my house. That's pretty bad, isn't it? I'm embarrassed to even say that. But we grow accustomed, don't we, to where we're at in life. And these people had lived with the ruins, and it's just something they began to see every day. And before long, it didn't bother them anymore that the walls were broken down. And it didn't bother them anymore that the gates were burned with fire. And I believe that when we're in that state, that we are ripe for revival. We get to a place where it doesn't bother us anymore that things are broken down, things aren't right. We look around at the churches that are not preaching the Bible and the gospel anymore. It's all about feel good and, and, and good talks, and we think, well, that's just the norm. That's the way it is today. No, no. The walls are broken down. We look at preachers that won't preach the whole counsel of God. They won't get up and, and stir people's hearts. They won't get up and, and, and teach on certain things of Scripture, and they just let things go by. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned with fire. We need to make sure that we're aware of these things. Verse 16, it says that, verse number 17, or verse 18, Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words, and that he had spoken unto me. Now notice this. He says, now, 
uh, we, in verse number 17, are in distress. And it brings a reproach. Now, my opinion is that he's speaking here of a reproach to Christ. So it puts the people in distress. I believe it puts Christ in, in a light, or God in a light, of being a reproach to those that are around them. And then notice it says that when Nehemiah spoke to the people about this, look what it says in verse number 18, in the last half of it. It says, and they said, this isn't Nehemiah, this is the people. Nehemiah just brought the problem to them. Nehemiah is the one that's been praying. He just brings the problem, and notice the people. They say, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. There's so much in this verse that I think is wonderful that we learn. First of all, when they saw the problem, God stirred their hearts. You ever notice this, that when we see uh, things, it often affects our hearts? Somebody said it this way, our eye affects our heart. And when we see that there's a problem, a lot of times we want to fix it. And if we don't want to fix it, then, then we need to ask the Lord, Lord, break my heart again. Uh, help me to have a compassion. Help me to see the lost. And it says that when they saw this problem in verse 18, it says, And they said, Let us rise up and build. In other words, we've been sitting around for too long. These walls have been broken for too long. The, the gates have been burned with fire for too long. It's time for us to get up and do something. I'm glad that God sent Nehemiah, just an ordinary man, to come and bring this delight to these people. And the Bible says this in verse 18. Notice it says, So they strengthened their hands for this good work. And they took some time to prepare. They took some time to get strong again. Uh, I know oftentimes when we go through that period where we have maybe our, our, our walk with God gets cold and, and distant and calloused, um, there's a time that we need to come back to the Lord. And it's a, it's a re-strengthening. It's something that we don't, we don't always come back right where we left off. A lot of times we have to get back there over a period of time. It takes some time to get back there again and to be re-strengthened. So they strengthen their hands. And I want you to notice this. It was a good work. It was a good work. Why? Because they weren't going to be in distress anymore, and it was going to remove the reproach from the Lord and from His people. Now, verse 19, And when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us. Now, we made this statement now a couple of times, because we've already seen uh, at least Sanballat and Tobiah. This is the first time we're seeing uh, Geshem. But the Bible says that they laughed them to scorn and despised us, and said, what is this thing that you do? We rebel against the king. And they are ridiculing. And again, we ask the question, what does it take to stop you? Uh, there are some Christians that give up just because somebody is, is ridiculing them. The world is saying, uh, and, and they will, won't they? The news media does this. The world does this. They look at Christians and say they're fools. You're a fool for being a Christian. You're a fool for believing in the things of the Lord. They despise us in those areas. And uh, what does it take to get us to stop? Here are these men that obviously had some kind of influence. Sanballat, Tobiah, at least had some form of influence because the Bible says that they, uh, they got the people all riled up. So they had some influence. They probably, I would think, were some sort of ruler or authority over a group of people there and the neighbors of Jerusalem at the time. And uh, so certainly these men are, are probably powerful men, at least well-known men in the area, and they're ridiculing Nehemiah. Again, 
If I was Nehemiah, I'd like to think I would keep going on, but I don't know that I would. Do I, do I put up with things that people criticize and ridicule today to do what's right for the cause of Christ? The Bible says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you for His name's sake. There are times that you and I will have to go through, and I, I posted a video last week of, of a fellow up in Canada, a pastor, getting arrested for preaching the gospel. Folks, it's coming. And we're going to have to make a choice. There's going to come a time, if God doesn't come soon, we're, we're going to be in a position where we're going to have to make that hard decision. Am I going to do what God's told me to do at no matter what the cost? Or am I going to be discouraged and deflated and walk away and abandon the things of the Lord just because of the scoffing and the despising that takes place? Once again, we see some of Nehemiah's character in verse number 20. I love verse 20. This is one of those moments that you just get goosebumps up and down your back. Then answered I them. <laughs> so, <coughs> he's not posting this on Facebook. He's going right to the source. He goes back, he answers these guys and said unto them, The God of heaven, He will prosper us. Therefore we His servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Jeremiah was not deterred by him, was he? These people despised him. They were, they were ridiculing him. They were inciting other people against him. And his, his answer to them was this, The God of heaven... He will prosper us. I really don't care, Sanballat, what you say. I really don't care, Tobiah, Gershom. I really don't care what you say. The only one I care about is what God has said. And we're going to, we're going to have a, a time, I believe, very nearly in our future, if we're not careful, if, we, if things continue the way they are, where the people that sit here in Keith Heights Baptist Church are going to have to make that hard decision. And what is it that we're going to do? I, I, I've heard people all the time, especially as a young person, I'd, or a youth pastor, I'd hear these young people oftentimes say, uh, Boy, I want to give my life for the Lord. I'd, I'd be willing to die for Christ. But the truth is, if we're not willing to live for Him, then we'll never be willing to die for Him. If we're not already doing the things He's asked us to do, then what makes us think we'll do it in the time that the persecution comes or the trial comes? That's why it's so important that the day that we live today, we say, Lord, I want to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to be obedient to what He, do, he tells me to do. If I find it in Scripture, I want to obey it. I, I want to be a part of what you want. If it tells I, I, my, uh, One of my relatives posted uh, a meme this week I read, <clears throat> and it said, if God calls it sin... It doesn't matter what your opinion is. It's still right. It's still a sin. And I said, absolutely. But have you ever thought about this? The reverse is also true. If God has said it's not sin, who are we to say it is sin? There are times that I've seen and I've watched churches and pastors that have said this is a sinful thing, and God didn't say it was sin. We've got to get to the place where we wholeheartedly whether it benefits us or it doesn't benefit us the way we see things, we wholeheartedly say, but God said it, and that settles it. And it's got to be on both sides of the issue. 
If God says it's sin, then it's sin. If God says it's not sin, then it's not sin. And it doesn't matter what a sand ballot or a Tobias says. We must make sure that we are fully and wholly seeking for the Scriptures and for the leading of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. So I like what he says in verse 20. The God of heaven, He will prosper us. And that, folks, that is, the only, that is the only approval. That's the only person that we're seeking for His guidance, His approval. <clears throat> Paul told the Romans, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, and he uses this phrase, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's just what's expected. That's not even that's not even an Apostle Paul. That's that's a Greg Boer Christianity. That's a that's a Joanne Clark Christianity or a Richard Anderson Christianity. That's a, that's an everybody Christianity. That's 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 the norm. That's what's expected. That we present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. And Paul says that's just our reasonable service. I believe that's what Nehemiah is doing here. He's saying, you know what, Sam Ballot, I don't answer to you. Tobiah, I don't answer to you. I answer to God and God alone. And He will prosper us. I love throughout the Old Testament how often God comes and talks to the folks in the Old Testament. He came to Abraham one time and he said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here am I. Boy, I love that. Samuel, when he was in the just young man and under the tutelage of Eli, uh, the priest. And God came to him one night and called him and said, Samuel. And Samuel didn't know what it was. They hadn't heard the voice of God in many, many years. And he went to Eli thinking Eli had called him. Eli said, no, go back to bed. I didn't call you. And God called him again. He went to Eli again and said, I heard it again. Somebody's calling my name. Was it you? He said, no. He said, but it might be God. He said, next time it happens, say, here am I. And Samuel did. He said, here am I. I like it when my, my will gets to a place where when God says it, and even before He says it, my heart is, yes, Lord. Before I ever even see it in Scripture, my decision is made, Lord, I'm going to obey. And I think that's where God expects every Christian to be. To be willing to say, yes, Lord, and then let Him tell us what He wants. It's not up. It's not up for discussion with him. We're not in a negotiation with God. When he says this is what it is, then we need to say yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. All right. We'll pick up there next week in uh, chapter number three. If you want to read a little bit ahead, uh, it's a lot of names. I will say that in chapter three, but there are a few really interesting lessons I think that can be learned in chapter three that I think are very exciting, and looking forward to them. And then as we get to the last half of the book and seeing some of the revival that takes place in the hearts of the Israelites I think is exciting to see. We studied a little bit about that last Sunday in Ezra and uh, boy, just looking to see what God would do in our hearts as well and uh, pray that God will bless and use and stir our hearts afresh and anew. Let's stand and get together if you're able to and we'll be dismissed in prayer.